The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Good morning, church. Great to see you guys. My name is Brian. If you are new here, I'm really thankful that you would come out on Father's Day and uh, worship with us. Um, if you want to be known, if you're new around here, uh, there should be a connect card in your seat or in the seat back there in front of you. Uh, you can fill that out at any point during the gathering. Or if you're tech savvy, there's a little QR code on your weekly um, and you can just scan that and it'll take you right to the place where you make yourself known. But we'd love just to know who you are, how we can serve you pray for you, uh, and maybe help you feel like you belong here um, in this family that we call Steadfast Church. Also, of course, want to say happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Um, I said this at Mother's Day, and I'll I'll say it this way for fathers. Whether you are a a biological dad, an adopted dad, uh, a stepdad, or whether you are just acting out fathering to uh, young people or younger than you people around you, it's hard work isn't it? It's hard to be tough and tender. It's hard to be strong and also to be kind and humble. It's really difficult to protect our families against the uh, assailing enemy and all of the tactics that he has in this world right now. And it's really hard to help our kids come to know and love Jesus why? Because they see Jesus in us, and we're sinners. <laughs> so, so for all of you who are fathers or who are fathering, um, we love you. We're so proud of you. We're so thankful for you, and uh, we want to pray for you in just a minute. also want to pray for uh, Mark Knox, uh, our chairman of elders. He is uh, preaching today at one of our church plants, Quorum Deo, uh, which is in Morganton. Uh, Billy Glosson has taken a, a few weeks off, and so uh, Mark was asked, they didn't ask me, but Mark was asked to go, uh, to go uh, fill in uh, for Billy, and so we want to pray for him as they are gathering for worship as well. So uh, let's just go to the Lord right now in prayer, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. Father, uh, what a gift to be together on this day, on the Lord's day. And on Father's Day, and uh, we're grateful again for all of the men who have sacrificed so willingly uh, as fathers in our lives. We recognize, of course, that there are broken men, there are broken relationships with the men in our lives, some of us, um, whether that's our our fathers or our children, and um, there's grief there, there's loss, Um, and yet we are reminded that you are a perfect father who loves us perfectly, um, who shepherds us um, perfectly. And um, Lord, as we entrust ourselves to you, will you make us more like you so that we can be a representation of God to those um, in our families for your glory and for their good. We pray for Mark as he is preaching this morning uh, and and pray that he's a blessing as I know he will be to Coram Deo um, in Morganton and uh, thankful that Billy Billy can get a few weeks of rest and, uh, and recuperation. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to the word of God, I pray that you would... Um, just give us maybe a fresh perspective on this passage that many of us know well, that you would help us to hear clearly, um, that you would help me, Holy Spirit, to to rightly divide this word, that it might be of benefit to your people, and that you would do the work that only you can do 
in our hearts by the power of your spirit and through your word. So we entrust ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would bless our time of study. And we pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Bless you. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. We've already looked at that text in our liturgy this morning, but that's where we're going to camp out here this morning. Um, We've been, if you're new, uh, in this series exploring the major episodes in the life of David, who became king, king of Israel. And that has taken us largely through the books of First and Second Samuel at a pretty rapid clip. Um, last week was a doozy, wasn't it? Uh, as we looked at the man after God's own heart and how the king fell into horrendous sin, grievous sin, breaking half of the Ten Commandments all in one fell swoop. <laughs> Yet we also saw God's mercy, didn't we? That God says to David through, first of all, he exposes his sin. And how many of you know that exposure of your sin is actually the mercy of God to you? But David also says, sorry, God says to David through the prophet Nathan, your sin has been put away, you will not die, right? Which is the mercy of God. And I hope that last week was an encouragement to you because We talked about this a little bit last week. The seeds of even those kinds of wicked, heinous sin are in every single one of our hearts. And if you don't believe me, let me pose this question to you. How many of you in the room, by show of hands, would would think that um, people will be talking about your life in around 3,000 years? Anyone? (laughs) That's what I thought. Okay, so we can acknowledge David is on another category from you and I, and yet if it was possible for him to fall into those kinds of crazy sins, it's possible for us. By the way, I love that the Bible is full of gritty people. It's not full. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible is not full of shiny, happy, clean plastic people who you cannot relate to. And I love that, don't you? The Bible is full of gritty, broken, weary, fed up people. And I love that because I can relate. I can relate. So last week, we only saw David admit his sin, but there is so much more to the healing and the forgiveness and the hope that David experiences that I wanted to take another look, not at the story so much, but the aftermath. And that brings us to Psalm 51. So we're kind of stepping out. We are stepping out of First and Second Samuel, but this wasn't so much an exposition of First and Second Samuel as much as it's an exposition of the life of David. So that takes us to Psalm 51. And here's the question I want to pose to you. Um, because the question is not whether we will sin. We're, we, we all will and we all do sin, right? All of us are guilty of taking the reins in our lives. All of us are guilty of of trying to be our own authority, rejecting the gracious authority of God and trying to be our own authority in our lives. And it makes a huge mess. The question is not whether we will sin. The question is, what do we do with our sin? Right? How do we handle our failure? Where do we take the sin that we've experienced? And and that's why I think Psalm 51 is going to be a help to us. So, 
briefly, let's read the whole passage. I know we read it already in liturgy, um, but I like to just read the whole thing to give us context and then we'll dive back into it. So it'll be on the screen. It's also uh, in your Bible. You can turn there, or if you don't have, if you wanna use one of the paperback or the, the hardback ones in our pews, it's page 443, page 443. And let's look at Psalm 51 here. You guys ready? A couple of you are ready. All right. <clears throat> Psalm 51, starting in verse one. Actually, let me look at the, the uh, superscript. It says in my Bible, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. You can sort of interpret that how you want. Verse one, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, uh, now we come to your word. Uh, bless us in our study. Uh, we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna give you um, my first point, and then I want you, we're gonna look back at these six verses. The first thing I want you to see in this psalm is David's cry of confession. His cry of confession. As we saw in the superscript, it says, when, Dave, when Nathan confronted David, okay? So a recap, if you weren't with us last week of uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, um, David is at the pinnacle of his career, the pinnacle of his kingship, the pinnacle of his life, and he chooses the couch over combat. In the season when the kings go out to battle, David stayed home. And in his lethargy, in his laziness, in his pride, 
uh, he fell into some wicked sin. He's up on his rooftop. He sees a woman. She's bathing. Uh, he likes her. He stares at her. He wants her. He goes and sends people to get her, brings her to him. He is with her. And a little later on, uh, he finds out that she's pregnant. Problem is, she's married to one of his uh, 30 mighty men. And so how am I going to cover my tracks? He goes and he gets Uriah, the Hittite, his friend, his, his um, soldier, brings him back. Uh, tries to get him to go home and spend some time with his wife in order to sort of cover his tracks. And that doesn't work. Two different times, it doesn't work. So finally, he sends Uriah back to the battlefield with his own death sentence in hand. A battle plan for everyone to retreat except Uriah so that he'll be killed in battle. It happens. David, as the noble man that he is, decides he'll marry Bathsheba and then this child will be born. And all seems to be going well until God sends Nathan. And Nathan confronts David in, um, in a parable, and David is cut to the heart. This psalm <clears throat> happens at some point later. He's busted, right? He's completely busted, but now he's coming back to the Lord. And so he pens this psalm, and he begins with this cry of confession. He says, actually, have mercy on me, O Lord. The choices that the accrual of choices in David's life have come crashing down upon him, and he's feeling the weight of it all. You might say he's feeling guilt. And we all know, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, we all know what it feels like, that weight of guilt. He even says it here in uh, verse three, for I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me, right? We try to run from our sin and guess what? It follows us. We try to run from our failure and it follows us. I know I quoted Homer Simpson last week, but he's so profound. <laughs> Maybe it was two weeks ago. Uh, there was an episode of The Simpsons. This is obviously before I was a Christian. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, they were going to move out of Springfield, Homer and Marge, and um, Marge is packing up, and Homer, in a moment of stunning clarity, says, Marge, our problems aren't where we are, they're who we are. <laughs> our guilt follows us, our failures follow us. And so what does David do? He appeals to God. And what is David's appeal based on? Is it based on his, David's merits? Have mercy on me because I'm a great guy. Is his appeal to God based on his promises? Lord, have mercy on me this time and I promise I'll never do it again. How many of us have prayed that prayer before? Is that what David is doing? What is David's appeal based on? Solely the character of God. He appeals to God solely based on the character of God. He says here, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He's crying out to who God is, right? In fact, um, in our English Bibles, most translations will say, have mercy on me is the first line. Some of your Bibles will say, be gracious to me because another translation of that word, this word for mercy uh, is not the same word that's used later on in verse one for mercy. So there's some translators will say, well, that's great. It's, be gracious to me. Um, you are a God of abundant love and be merciful to me. So there's three different sort of aspects of who God is, right? He's gracious, he's loving, and he's merciful. Where have we seen that before? Even already this morning. Did we not in, in 
10,000 Reasons, that first song, sing out of a God who is rich in mercy and kind and, and good. Well, where does that come from? It comes from God's revelation of himself. All the way back to Exodus chapter 34. Let me just flip there. You don't have to turn there, but let me read you from Exodus chapter 34. This is um, uh, Moses is, is going up to get new tablets because remember he dropped the first ones because the people fell back into sin again after the first uh, set of tablets. So this is what God says about himself. Moses um, went up to see the Lord. He cut two tablets like the first. And then it says this in verse six of uh, Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, which is his own personal name, Yahweh, right? This is my own intimate personal name, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, by, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is God's revelation of himself. This is who I am. I am Yahweh. I am abounding in steadfast love, mercy, and graciousness. Interestingly, this revelation of who God is is repeated, uh, I think 10 or 11 times in the Old Testament, and in almost every example, in almost every example, this revelation of God's character is in response to the people's sin. So the people fail miserably and they're reminded, but the Lord is gracious and merciful, you know, full of steadfast love and all that, right? It's amazing. Now contrast these three things about who God is, gracious, merciful, full of steadfast love, to what David's bringing to the table here. Three times, three different words. He says, um, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, blot out my transgressions, cleanse me from my sin. So this is what David's bringing to the table. God, you're gracious, you're merciful, you're full of steadfast love. I am full of transgressions and iniquities and sins. Three different descriptions of his sin. There's willful omission of God's law. There's, there's um, dismissal of God's authority. There, there's all this bound up in these three words for his own sin. But what's David doing? He's owning up. He's taking responsibility. Now, he was busted for sure, right? In 2 Samuel 12, he was straight up busted. He did not confess. He had opportunity, but he didn't. But now that he is busted, he is confessing to God. Now he's not stating specifically, here's the specific thing that I did, God, but God already knows and David knows that God knows. And so he's saying, okay, you know what? What I did was sin. What I did was iniquity. What I did was, were transgressions. You got me. He's owning up. He's taking responsibility for his own failures. There are no excuses here. There's no blame shifting. He, he's not like, well, why was she taking a bath naked? You know, like, he doesn't say, I made a mistake. How many of us say that when we fail miserably? Oh, I made a mistake. This isn't like me. This is so uncharacteristic of who I am. No, it's not. You're deceived. That's what's going on, right? He doesn't say it was a moment of weakness. He doesn't say, I was having a bad day. There's none of that here. He's owning his sin and his failure. And then look at verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, as I said last week, I'm pretty sure 
Bathsheba would have something to say about that. Pretty sure Uriah, who was murdered, would have something to say about against God and God only. (laughs) David is not denying that he has sinned and hurt other people. But we have to understand that sin is first and foremost always a sin against God. He says, I've done what is evil in your sight. When was the last time that you owned your sin and you called it evil? Can we admit that? I did what was evil in God's sight and it hurt other people. Or maybe it didn't hurt other people. Nobody even knows about it, but it's still evil in God's sight. See, all sin is rooted in a dissatisfaction with what God has graciously given us and a distrust in his goodness. And any of you who are parents and who have had toddlers in your house know this is absolutely true, right? You give your kids rules. Hey, uh, we're not going to have any candy or dessert before dinner time. And then you go in their room and their face is covered in chocolate. And you're like, where did you get that from? I don't know what you're talking about, mommy. Right? Sticky hands and all that. And you gave them a specific rule, but they chose. They were dissatisfied with what you had already. You can have everything else in the pantry, kids. Just no chocolate. We do the same thing with God. Think back to Adam and Eve, right? You can have every fruit in in the garden. There's just this one tree. Just don't touch this one tree. But everything else is yours. And what do they do? Well, why can't we have the one tree? What is God withholding from us? Right? And of course, the enemy comes along. Oh, he, he doesn't want you to be like him. Right? And tempts them. And so they eat the fruit. Why? Because they want to be like God. They distrusted. They were dissatisfied with what he gave them. And they distrusted his goodness. And we do the same exact thing. Um, In David's case, in other words, you could put it this way. Before David committed physical adultery, he had already committed spiritual adultery. There was something else that was more important to him in that moment than honoring God. God. And the same is true for us. If you get down to the root of any of your sinful actions, whether it's losing your stuff on your kids sometimes, whether it's treating your spouse poorly, whether it's, you know, overspending, buying things you don't need, going to massive debt, whether it's over drinking, whether it's overeating. I mean, I don't know what your particular, you know, issues are, but if you get down to the root of it, you will find it starts with a dissatisfaction with what God has already given you and a distrust that he's good, that he can be trusted. Do you know why we often feel guilty? Because we're guilty. (laughs) Now, certainly there are such things as false guilt. There are such things as harmful guilt. And there are people sometimes in our lives who try to make us feel guilty for things that genuinely are not our fault. But... More often than not, guilt, or I might even call it conviction, 
is a gift to us that tells us that there is something that we are not owning up to. And so David's uh, line here, I have sinned against the Lord, is a sentence full of hope because it is a sentence full of God. Like the very things that you and I would like to cover and ignore and forget about are the very things that God himself wants to forgive and heal and restore in our lives. But it's not easy because no one likes to admit being wrong. It's a hit to our pride. It's a hit to our self-image. This is why people say, well, that wasn't like me, right? Because we think we're better than we are, see? But, but if we will learn to confess and repent quickly, parents, this is one of the best things that you can ever do for your family. Fathers and mothers alike is learn to admit, confess, and repent of your sin against your children quickly. And I'm not great at it. My wife's really not good at it, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding. <laughs> don't tell her I said that. It's a joke. I don't mean it. Um, <laughs> if your kids, and I hope my kids will see this as they grow into adults, as your kids see you owning your failure and confessing and repenting to them, they learn what it looks like to be honest. And if you want them to own their stuff and confess and repent, you have to model it. It's only, uh, Eugene Peterson put it this way, it's only when we recognize and confess our sin that we are able to recognize and respond to the God who can save us from our sin. So it's actually a beautiful thing to confess and repent. We don't need to whip ourselves across the back and you know, be like, woe is me and all this. No, we bring our failures before the only one who can forgive us. No sinner has ever come to God in true confession and repentance and been refused. And no sinner who genuinely comes in confession and repentance will ever be refused. The cross of Christ makes that obvious. That's what the cross was for. So what on earth are we waiting for? Confess, repent, come to him with everything. You guys with me? All right, I really got to hit the gas here. Let's look at um, the next thing, which is David's request for renewal in verses seven through 12. David's request for renewal. He says, purge me with hyssop, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. A request for renewal. David has come clean. He's gotten honest. He has confessed his failure and his sin before God. And that's where a lot of us stop, but that's not where David stops. There's repentance. Repentance simply means to turn, okay? But it's not, repentance is not just stop, right? Stop doing that thing that's bad. And repentance is not just turn away from that bad thing. It's also to turn towards God himself, right? Um, Martin Luther, 
in his 95 thesis said essentially that all of life is repentance. Why? Because we, our souls are constantly either turning towards or away from God. And so when we recognize we're turned away from God, we turn back to him. That's repentance. And it's a cycle that continues over and over again. As Matt said, it's not a one and done. We repent to get into the kingdom and we repent as citizens of the kingdom. Now there's some ideology in the Christian world that says once you repent the first time, you never have to repent again. And I think that's foolish. You know why? If I had done, if I, Pastor Brian, did what David did, and I had an affair and I murdered the person who uh, I had an affair with. Would you look at me and you say, you got Jesus, man, you're great. You don't need to repent. No, you wouldn't. Or if I sinned in those ways and you came to me and said, I forgive you. Like, what have you got to do with it? <laughs> you know, this is a sin against God. And so we must continue to repent because we sin against God. So all of life is repentance. So David turns to the Lord and he asks for God to do what only God can do. He says, purge me. That is sprinkling with, with blood to cleanse as they did in the temple. Wash me, right? That's scrub away these stains. Blot out, not white out, blot out. White out is a covering over. Blotting out is to edit out, to cut out of and, 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 and it not be there at all. Blot out my transgressions. Do you notice that everything he's asking for here is passive? It's all stuff God must do for him. He can't do it himself. In other words, I can't purge myself. I can't get these stains off. I can't blot out my own transgressions. And don't you think he tried? Now, how often do you and I, when we have failed, when we have sinned, try to atone for our own sin? Try to outweigh our bad with a whole lot of good. Some of you are on that seesaw your whole entire lives and you think, well, every time I do something bad, I gotta pull myself up by the bootstraps and do a lot of good to outweigh my bad so that God, when he looks at me, he sees the scale, right? And my good outweighs my bad. Um, that is not a biblical category. Here's the category. All of us are on this side, sin. Here's Jesus on this side and he outweighs everything. And that's great news for us. In verse nine, he says, hide your face from my sins, blot out my transgressions. But then he says in verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, take away my sin, but don't take me away from your presence. That was a real fear for him. It had happened to Saul. Now, I don't believe that David is worried that he's gonna lose his salvation, but I, I do believe he's afraid he's going to lose his anointing. Again, it had happened to Saul. And though in Christ, you and I can never lose the Holy Spirit. Like we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, okay? He will never depart from us. We can grieve him. And God can and does remove his hand of blessing from your life from a church's life. We saw this uh, quite painfully, didn't we, in our study on the seven churches in Revelation, that God removed his hand of blessing. There were churches who Jesus was on the outside of the church knocking on the door to get back in, and they didn't even know he had left them. So, so David here is saying, 
I never want to go back there. And don't just forgive my behavior, but cure the sickness that's deep down inside of me. That's why he says, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, restore the joy of my salvation. I need to be remade. There, there was something that got lost along the way. I, I lost my integrity. I lost my openness to you. I lost my humility and I allowed hypocrisy to come into my life where I was going through motions, but, all, but I knew that I was hiding something. And that produced in me a dullness to the things of God. My joy was sapped because of my sin, but also I sinned because I had lost my joy in the Lord. And how often is that the case for us, you know? Um, a dullness starts to seep in. Sort of um, where, where, you know, you remember the day of your salvation perhaps and everything was like in, in vivid technicolor, right? Super HD, whatever it is up to now, 2460, what, I don't know. 5K, you know, and um, 8K. And, and then it's kind of like a grainy black and white film spiritually. Just a dullness has set in and, and, and we lose our joy in him. And it's so easy in those moments to sort of give ourselves over to things that we know are harmful, but we don't feel the conviction we used to. We've lost that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Which is why he says, and I love this line, um, verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing Spirit, I'd love that. You know why? We don't have to be good at this. We just have to be willing. Open. Honest. That's all it requires. So what has sapped you of joy? What, what has led to a, a, perhaps a, a spiritual dullness in your own life and Will you open yourself up to him today? All right, you still with me? A few more minutes here. I'll get you on to Father's Day brunch or whatever you're doing. So we've seen David confess, right? A cry of confession. We've seen him request renewal, restoration. And now I want you to see my third point here, final point, the freedom of forgiveness. Verses 13 and following, um, he says, then, right? Verse 13, then, which tells us he's got confidence that God's gonna show up for him. So I'm, I'm confessing, I'm asking you to do what only you can do, renew, restore, create in me a clean heart. And when you do that, and I know that you will because you are a God who is gracious and merciful and full of steadfast love, then I will, what does he say? Teach transgressors your way. Um, uh, he says, well, deliver me from blood guiltiness. I think he's obviously thinking about Uriah, the man whom he had killed. My tongue will sing aloud. Open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. So here's my response. When you do this, when you restore me, when you renew me, when you fill me, you create a clean heart of me, I'll teach and I'll sing and I'll declare your praise. How many of you know unconfessed sin silences us? David actually even makes mention of this in Psalm 32, which 
I don't know this for sure, but I think that Psalm 32 um, was written around this same time. And here's what he says in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, so he's saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That's how he starts the Psalm. Then he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess and you forgave me. Sin keeps you silent. And when you're silent, there's an internal wrestle, right? We know we have guilt. We know we have sin, but we're unwilling to confess it. It makes us miserable. At least it does for me. I don't know about you. So in verse 16, he says, uh, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with the burnt offering, the sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. David is not trivializing the sacrifices at the tabernacle. He takes those very seriously. We see that even at the end of the passage here. What's happened, every sacrifice at the, at the temple, at the tabernacle before the temple, um, is a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sins, right? And I think in some way, by the power of the Spirit, David had an inkling of that. He didn't know the name Jesus he didn't know how God would fulfill these promises, but he had, uh, he had an inkling of it, okay? What he's asking for here is, is, he says, essentially, okay, I could go through all the motions of tabernacle worship, but with a wrong heart, and please don't let me do that. I could show up to church, you know? I could mumble the underlined portion of the confession, <laughs> Right? I could mumble along to the songs or keep my hands in my pocket. I could sit and look like I'm paying attention to Brian's sermon. Um, and I could walk out of here and be totally unmoved and unchanged. And his cry is, Lord, please don't let that happen. Please don't let me just go through the motions without a right heart. You and I know that sin is a burden that weighs us down and wears us out. And God's invitation to you and me through confession and repentance is not slightly lighter chains. It's real freedom, real joy. That's what's on offer. If we will come, verse 16, uh, with a broken Sorry, verse 17, broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, okay? That doesn't mean a groveling, I'm the worst person in the world, you know, that this kind of thing that so many of us, especially um, in, in more reformed circles tend to do, right? This woe is, no, this is honest. Owning up and truly sorry that we have grieved God by our sin. No justifying, no blame shifting, no deflecting, no excuse making, just taking responsibility for our failure and running to him with it, honest, owning up, and truly sorry. And you know what happens when we do that? God will meet us there. And he 
by his grace and mercy and steadfast love will breathe new life into weary, worn out, fed up sinners like you and me. And the more that we see God's true heart for sinners like us, the more we become fully alive to God and who he is. And this is a cycle, as I said earlier, that repeats over and over and over and over again. the more that we grow in our character, and we should, and we will as we're following Jesus, right? Our character will grow. There are sins that will be put away from us, actions that we stop doing. But the more we grow and understand the holiness and the, and, and this, the beauty and the majesty of who God is, the more we realize that sin is not just our actions, but it's our thoughts, it's our internal motives. And so we, like Paul in Romans 7, will go, I do what I don't wanna do and I don't do what I wanna do and who will save me from this body of death? And what's the answer? Jesus. Jesus. As we see God's true heart for us, we will become more fully alive to God. We will experience renewed joy and vitality. And we will desire to praise him, to sing to him, to tell other people what God has done for us that only God could do for us. I think about the woman uh, at the well in John chapter six, you know, Jesus meets her. We don't have time for the whole story, but you know what happens, right? She's convicted of, of her living situation and she runs home and what does she say? Come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. She was not ashamed of her sin. She knew she had been forgiven. She was free. Now, here's my question. Actually, let me say this really quick and then I'll I'll say my question. Um, It's often the case that the place of your greatest pain or failure can become your biggest platform for proclaiming the mercy of God. It's a testimony, in other words. I'm looking out here and I see some of you and I know your stories. I know there's others you do that, you know, you were basically born right here on this altar, you know, and you grew up in church your whole life and you never went sideways in, in one, and you're, but you follow Jesus still. You actually grew up in the church and still follow Jesus. That's a miracle. And there's others of you that have some pretty devastating baggage in your story, but God has been so kind to you, so merciful to you. He has to all of us. How could David have this kind of confidence, this kind of assurance in God's mercy to him? This is 3,000 years ago. Well, we know David was looking forward in faith. You and I have the privilege of looking back on the reality of Christ. Every sin, again, sin is our, our, at the core essence of it is our desire to be our own authority, right? I want to be in charge. I reject God, I'm in charge, I do what I want. Every sin, whether action, thought, deed, intention, motivation, requires payment. And either you will pay eternally in hell or Jesus will pay. And so God sent Jesus, he came. 
Fully God, fully man. God in human flesh with all of its frailty and weakness. I mean, Jesus knows what it's like to be you and me. Tempted in every way that we're tempted. But Jesus didn't come just to die for us. He came to live for us also. Fulfilling all the righteous requirements of God's law. God's law and tempted without ever sinning. Without failure of any kind. And so at the cross, God the Father is condemning our sin in condemning Jesus. In other words, Jesus took responsibility for our sin and failure. He owned all of it, all of our wrong, as if it was his own. And when he was nailed to the cross and he cried out, it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. Penalty paid in full. In other words, your sin, past, present, future, blotted out forever. Thank you. (laughs) That's glorious news. And on the third day, Jesus returned the grave like a rented library book. Why? So you and I could live without fear of condemnation. Because the enemy, when we sin, wants to condemn us. The spirit wants to convict us. The enemy wants us to hide and bury and just spiral. And the spirit wants to bring light and life. We can live without condemnation. So listen, we can confess. We can confess our sins because Jesus died for our sins. All of them, every single one of them. We have the right to be called you and I, the children of God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so some of us today are lugging around like a big, you know, awkward piece of luggage, all this baggage and sin that Jesus is inviting you to lay down today. So bring it to him. Tell him everything. And he will cleanse you He will forgive you. He will renew you. He will restore your joy. In this last verse, and I'm done. Verse 18, he says, do good to Zion. It's not only the city of God, it's the people of God. Do good to the people of God, to the city of God in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. So here we see that when we come honestly and and confess and repent and experience the forgiveness of God, it actually does good to the community. It helps us grow. It helps us experience peace together. It helps us thrive in our communities and in our families. I'm telling you what, it feels so good to get free. And so I'm not assuming there's any dark corners of your soul that have you know, been hidden for the last 20 years. If they are, today's the day of salvation. But I, I wanna say this, we all have sin and I hope you know you need to repent. And I do too. And God is so kind, he's inviting us to. Not demanding, he's inviting us. I mean, he does command us to repent, but he's inviting us as well. And so we're gonna take some time, right? We're just gonna be still. I have no questions this morning. Because you don't need more questions. You don't need more to think about. You just need to sit with the Lord. We're going to take a minute and we're just going to silently meditate and, and ask privately, Lord, is there anything that you are asking me to repent of? There's anything in my heart right now that I need to confess to you uh, and repent of. And I'm just going to give you the freedom to do that this morning. However you feel led, if it's there in your seat, 
If you want to come up here to these steps, you can do that as well. Um, there's no magic in this, these steps, right? But some people feel the physical action of kneeling is, is helpful. So you're invited to do that if you want. We're going to take just a, uh, maybe two minutes or so. Uh, if you're down here, just you can stay. Like you don't have to get up quickly. But the next thing we'll do is respond to the Lord through communion. And communion is a, a beautiful remembrance of the gospel. Why Jesus came right, to die for our sins. And so we'll come down from the back row first up to these tables. We'll take a piece of the bread representing the body of Jesus. We'll dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever your conscience allows, representing the the blood of Jesus. We remember that his body was broken so that we could be made whole, that his blood was spilled so that we could be cleansed, as he says in the Psalm here, washed whiter than snow, right? That's why he came. And that's the invitation for us this morning to remember what Jesus has done and to walk away free, forgiven, restored, joyful. So we're gonna be still and quiet. Um, When I get up to the table, that'll be the signal to you in the back row that you can start coming forward. Um, And the band's gonna come back up and start leading us through our responsive uh, songs here. Um, Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for the opportunity to proclaim it. Um, I pray that something that has been said this morning Um, was meaningful, impactful, that by your spirit and through your word that you have brought conviction or encouragement or maybe both. Um, And that would be, we would be a people who walk in the light as you are in the light. That we'd be a people who don't hide because we're not afraid of condemnation. We know that there is acceptance, that there is forgiveness, that there is freedom in confession. So help us to be a people who walk in confession and repentance for your glory, for our good. We ask this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Be still. If you want to respond, you can do that.